just like that, 2020 is coming to a close. It's been a long, hard year for many of us in the capital region, and the future is far from certain. But before we head off into that horizon, we're going to take a moment in this final Eagle episode of the year to revisit some of 2020's top headlines. The pandemic changed everything, virtually everything about the way we conduct our lives. Also on this episode, we'll hear from the loved ones of local COVID victims. But to actually be in the same room with her, none of us had done that since October. And unfortunately, she died alone at the hospital. And on a lighter note, we'll talk to the Shenandoah School District's famous grapevine lady. I remember one time there was a question that they heard that we were getting a uh, cappuccino and espresso bar in the high school. You know, it's like, no. This is The Eagle, a Times Union podcast, a look inside our newsroom. I'm Jessica Marshall. If you're enjoying this podcast, Take advantage of all the Times Union has to offer and support our efforts to bring in you award-winning journalism by becoming a Times Union member today. Go to timesunion.com slash subscribe. Welcome to The Eagle. I'm Jessica Marshall. Normally, we'd begin with a look at what appeared in the Times Union and on timesunion.com this week, but we're making an exception. We are here once again with Casey Seiler, Times Union editor. Now, it's the last week of 2020 and kind of the end of what's fair to say a highly fraught year. Uh, It's also our 40th episode of the Eagle podcast, which is something worth celebrating, of course. But I'd say that it's a good time right now to look back on the year's top stories. And you and I have talked about many of these on prior episodes, so some of them might sound familiar to our faithful listeners But they do bear highlighting again, uh, given the impact they've made on the region in the last year. So let's start with the big one, the one you can't we can't avoid, the one that kind of touches on all of the other ones, the pandemic. Now, just this week, the governor called out the capital region as having one of the highest covid positivity rates in the state. So that's not a great sign ending the year. But can you kind of give us a look back on how we dealt with the pandemic this year? First of all, I just love your use of the word fraught to describe 2020. And for those who who want to hear a different word, they can switch over to the NC-17 version of this podcast. (laughs) But I mean, look, 2020 is going to go down as as the year in not just New York history or upstate history or American history, but really world history as the year of the pandemic, you know, it, it in the same way we talk about the 1918-1919 Spanish flu pandemic, this is a year that is going to be one of those signposts like 1941. Uh, and the the pandemic changed everything. Virtually everything about the way we conduct our lives has been upended or tweaked in ways large and small. That is why half if not more, of the stories on our list of major stories. And we are trying to, this year, avoid the use of a kind of top 10 countdown um, way of going about this, all have to do with the pandemic. You know, the damage to businesses, the upending of the education system, you know, you name it. And we're talking um, early in the week, but it's not giving really anything away 
to note that the final story of this year's series of major stories is going to be about the human loss of the pandemic. All of the people in the capital region who have lost their lives, you know, younger people, uh, certainly the majority of them uh, in our area, elderly, who have been taken away by by COVID-19. Now, we'll have more on that story coming up later this episode, uh, so stay tuned for that. But moving on to another one of our top stories, Keith Raniere was sentenced, and a whole lot of stuff happened with Nexium this year. So do you want to go through some of the highlights there? This was the year, we're now talking more than a year and a half after Raniere's, uh, the guilty verdict, um, guilty on all counts, of course, and uh, it's almost two years now since uh, Raniere's other co-defendants, the women who said they would never abandon him, abandoned him and took uh, guilty verdicts. Or I guess I should say abandoned him in part because many of them, Claire Bronfman most notably, when she uh, appeared for her sentencing, could not fully disassociate herself from Raniere and from Nexium. But the big story of the year was the victims of Nexium, most of them, almost all of them women, uh, again, who confronted Raniere in court at his sentencing at the end of October and told him in no uncertain terms how he had wrecked their lives. And they were all there in the courthouse where he was sentenced to a prison term that will go well beyond his natural life if it uh, if it stands. He's appealing it, but it's a rather thin read of legal arguments that he is using to appeal that sentencing. Now, of course, all the Nexium news kind of thrust or rethrust, I should say, the Times Union into the national spotlight because the paper had played a large role over the years in breaking the stories uh, about Nexium. But if you want to hear more about our coverage of the Nexium saga, go ahead and download our Nexium on Trial podcast. Next on our list, over the summer, Black Lives Matter and the protests associated with police violence, it touched the capital region. You were there for it. You were in the midst of, of some, to use the word again, fraught situations. Uh, do you want to talk about how all of that got coverage this past year. Yeah, uh, the death of of George Floyd and the death of Breonna Taylor were just two of the flashpoints that set off the protests that really swept across the country in May and into June. It was a long summer of racial reconciliation, uh, or at least a reckoning with police misconduct and uh, the damage done to Black communities by injustice. And uh, it resulted in definite legislative changes, including the demise or the uh, significant scaling back of the state law known as 50A that previously blocked the release of most police uh, personnel records. That is now washed away, although the battle for transparency will go on. Communities were obligated to take a very hard look at the way that their law enforcement entities went about policing, and that process is ongoing. But it was a year in which America was reminded once again that it still has a long way to go before we live in a society that is as equitable and just 
as at least uh, well-thinking people in our communities want them to be. And now a reminder, of course, you can read all of our coverage on this and all the other stories that we talk about at timesunion.com. Moving on to the Schoharie limo crash of 2018, the NTSB finally released its long-awaited report. What are the developments in that story this year? Well, the report found that, um, uh, no surprise, as our Larry Rulison has reported through his good investigative work, that the stretch limousine that was involved in the crash where 20 people died, 17 passengers, the driver, and two pedestrians in the parking lot of the country store out in Schoharie that the, that the limo ripped through before landing in a ditch. The limo was rickety, that it had not been kept up uh, to anything close to what, uh, where it should have been based on both state and federal regulation. And that is why the uh, operator of Prestige Limousine, Nauman Hussein, is still facing 20 counts apiece of manslaughter and of criminally negligent homicide. Those charges are, are still pending against him. We, of course, hear talk of a potential plea bargain, but nothing has borne fruit yet. But the NTSB devoted a significant portion of the report to failings by the state, in particular, the State Department of Transportation and the Department of Motor Vehicles, which did, in the estimation of the NTSB and in the estimation of the Times Union, which has spent a long time looking at this, a fairly shabby job of regulating this company. Virtually all of the state's inform- uh, enforcement tactics uh, were insufficient to keep it off the road. The state, numerous on numerous occasions, missed an opportunity to get that vehicle off the road. And that is unfortunately why it was still available for rent in early October of 2018. All right, here's our last topic, I promise, uh, that's somewhat negative before we move on to some positive things that came out of 2020. This year, we saw a significant uptick in violence around the region. Can you take us through what we reported on that? Yeah, especially in Albany, but also in Schenectady and Troy, there were uh, disturbing increases in in gun violence and a near record number of uh, of fatalities of of homicides. You know, one of the most high profile was a young child who was shot in shot dead in Troy, apparently by a stray bullet. But there were violent incidents really all all across the region. If you spoke to city leaders, including law enforcement leaders, they attributed at least some of it to the fact that community engagement uh, was largely curtailed because of the pandemic, that, for example, the groups known as sort of violence interrupters were unable to do their work in a really robust way because the one-on-one contact that makes it possible um, was just pretty much suspended by the pandemic. But once again, you you have a problem of too many guns on the street, um, many of them uh, illegal, uh, combined with a significant downturn in the economy and um, people cooped up potentially where beefs are allowed to fester and take on uh, disproportionate importance. And uh, it it added up tragically to a lot of people hurt and a disturbing number of people dead. 
Well, that was a number of sobering stories for sure. Important stories, but but sobering um, and not necessarily positive. So let's talk about something a little more positive. As you mentioned before, the pandemic affected a lot of things, uh, nearly all of the things in our lives. It changed our lives. That includes the Saratoga season at the Saratoga race course, uh, which was very much altered. No fans were allowed in, but we had a hometown horse become something of a star this year. Do you want to talk about good old Tis the Law? Yeah, as Tim Wilkin, our retiring sports writer, not saying that he's shine withdrawn, but that he is in fact headed into retirement from the Times Union, reported throughout the summer, Tis the Law was uh, this phenomenal horse with seemingly, you know, bottomless ability who seemed like would become a, a, a triple crown winner, potentially that alas fell just short at the uh, delayed Kentucky Derby or you know significantly short i guess we we should say but still a horse that um that made for uh an interesting entertaining and exciting Saratoga meet that otherwise just would have been miserable you know with no fans in the stands and no hat competition or any of that stuff. So once again, we are saved by the animal kingdom, at least in in terms of the Saratoga race course. Indeed. And now let's end on a positive note, of course. There is good news related to the pandemic in that we are getting through this. Can you elaborate? It feels right now sort of as we're all looking back at this year that we got through. It's been 10 months or more since the pandemic really sort of uh, sailed into our consciousness like a big black cloud. And we are now confronting a world where the vaccines are beginning to roll out. We see a light at the end of the tunnel while at the same time we're dealing with this terrible spike that, at least in the capital region, is making the pandemic far more uh, deadly and more dangerous than it has been before. Other parts of the country are dealing with very much the same kinds of things. You know, the numbers are definitely going in the wrong direction. At the same time, I think we all look back at the political year just ended and we feel a sense of, of having endured and having gotten through that for all the ways in which humanity can create problems for itself. We also have shown the ability to to solve at least some of those problems and, and get ourselves out of it. And who knows, Jess, perhaps we can look back on this and, and just want to forget it in the same way that they say that people after the Spanish flu pandemic of a century ago just wanted to forget about it. And so there's this big kind of you know, empty page, as it were, in the history books that, that people just didn't talk about it for years and years. Say what you will about the social media generation, but you get the sense that people are going to want to turn the page from the pandemic, but you don't think they're going to forget it anytime soon. And, uh, you know, if you're a glass half full person, you can say that perhaps people will start thinking uh, of global problems and looking for global solutions a, a little bit more than we have in the past. I mean, that's one thing that a pandemic definitely brings home to you, that a problem in one part of the world is, could potentially end up being a problem in this part of the world as well. Well, I say that's a good place to end it today in the end of 2020. Happy New Year, Casey. We will touch back with you in 2021. Just you too. And thanks for all the great work. 
As of this podcast's taping, the capital region has lost nearly 530 people to COVID-19 since the pandemic began 10 months ago. The Times Union published a special memorial this week to those who succumbed to the virus, highlighting some of their stories. Reporter Wendy Liberator was one of the reporters who compiled the stories, and I talked to her about the experience. Statewide deaths, 114. The hospitalizations up 376. Over the last five days, there's been an average of 200.8 new positive cases. Yesterday it was 201.2. You know, every day we see and hear these really sobering headlines, uh, mainly coming from public officials who, you know, each day have a press conference and they quote these grim numbers of, of the COVID infection rates and the COVID deaths. But we don't, we don't get to drill down often and, and hear the stories of those people who are directly affected by the COVID deaths. Now, that's something that you've been looking into and have written about. So can you give me a general sense of, of what this article is trying to do? Well, this article is going to memorialize many of the folks who have died of COVID-19 in the capital region. I mean, it really only skims the surface. Uh, maybe there's like 20 names that we've picked out, you know, because far more have died than that. But we tried to get a cross section of ages and genders. And basically, every story is different on how it happened. Of course, they all died in the end, which is so tremendously sad. I'm the one that caught the COVID, didn't realize what it was until it was too late. But he did go out to eat one night. Unfortunately, the establishment, which I will not name, some of the staff did test positive. He was a man that was in a lot of pain with his arm, and that's why he decided to have the surgery, which apparently was a very big mistake. Some folks got it from having uh, elective surgery. For example, one man had shoulder surgery. Other people got it from dining out. Others got it because they are nursing home residents and they got it there. Of course, you know, it comes to an end with death, which is really sad for all the families involved. It's still very raw for many of the survivors. I said, I need to see him. I said, well, whether I saw on Facebook or what, I said, I need to see my brother. And they said, you can come up. I, I think he was cognizant that I was there, mm-hmm. although, you know, you can't tell. Um, necessarily at that stage, but uh, it, it brought me great peace. What was it like for you calling up folks who, you know, have had deaths in the family? What was that like? It was difficult because often they're crying and, and they're trying to get, they keep saying, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. They're just choking on their words because they're so upset still. Uh, one man I talked to was angry, like really angry over it because his mother, he said, was super meticulous, clean woman, was really into the mask wearing and social distancing. He hadn't seen his mother for a practically a year before she died because she was so concerned about COVID, but she needed surgery. She got surgery, got COVID at a rehab center and, and died. And he's very angry. Another woman I talked to, her husband died after being in a a rehab facility after surgery. You know, she feels like the, the 
rehab center was negligent. She's considering taking legal action. But there's other people, another woman telling me about her mom who was in Samaritan Hospital, the same hospital this woman worked at for 35 years, and how much love and care her mother got there. But at the same time, this woman couldn't spend any time with her mother. I mean, I could see her that way through phone calls, but to actually be in the same room with her, none of us had done that since October. And unfortunately, she died alone at the hospital. It doesn't matter what kind of care they got. I guess in the end, you know, if you're not there to hold their hand or you're holding their hand through a glove, which a lot of people were allowed to go into Albany Med to say farewell to family members. But it's just heart-wrenching. It's heart-wrenching for me, too. Yes. I mean, sort of tearing up just listening to you talk here. It's it's very hard to hear and, and even harder to, to go through. Can you tell me about the process of sort of finding these folks to feature in this story? Basically, what we did was go through the obituaries in the Times Union and seek all those that uh, died of COVID. And then I just went about going through the survivor lists in the obituaries and just trying to find phone numbers for every single person I could among the survivors and reaching out to them. Uh, you know, I talked to spouses, I talked to siblings, I talked to children of the COVID victim, you know, and sometimes you can't find any number, but I just kept drilling down farther until I found a number, called it blindly, uh, and hoped that they would talk to me. And all of them were able to, once they were, they composed themselves. Yeah, I was wondering that. I was wondering how many how willing they were to speak about their stories. They were, I was surprised. They were pretty, very willing to speak to it, except for the one angry man who wanted to check me out first to make sure I wasn't somebody who was going to try to bilk his his 92-year-old father out of money for this. But otherwise, everybody was very willing to, to talk. And it's funny, I had... Uh, a list of people who died more recently. They all died in November and December. So this was, this was, this is still fresh. Yes. Wow. What do you hope people get out of this? Something you hope that they can take away from it? Well, first of all, the COVID is serious. It's interesting. One of the things that almost all of them said to me was, I don't want to get political about this, but And then they went on to say, you have to wear a mask. This is real. At the end of the day, it was still COVID. It was COVID that sent him to the hospital. And COVID is listed on his death certificate. It's almost like they were telling me my brother, my mother died of COVID. This is not nonsense. This is COVID. It's on their death certificate. I found it very interesting that they had to tell me this because I've interviewed a lot of people for tragic events over the years, but none of them had to emphasize to me that what it says on the death certificate and that it's that their death is not a political ploy, which I thought was really sad. Wow. COVID seems to be everywhere and they've these folks got it in a variety of ways. Uh, the ages are all over the place. It's young people, old people, 
like one woman said to me in the end, she's like, wear a mask and socially distance, please. That was the main message out of it, that this is real and you, we all must take care of ourselves so we can take care of each other. After the break, we'll talk to the famous grapevine lady of Shenandoah Schools. Hi, I'm Casey Seiler, editor of the Times Union. Join us for an ongoing discussion on major developments in the saga of Keith Raniere, co-founder of Nexium, the shadowy upstate New York organization at the center of the explosive federal investigation that resulted in his conviction on charges of extortion, sex trafficking, and more. We talk to former members of Nexium, discuss the latest news, and preview the likely next twists in this bizarre and disturbing story. You can find Nexium on trial at timesunion.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're a student, parent, or faculty member at a Shenandoah school or have been in the past, you've likely heard of the Grapevine Lady. By Grapevine Lady, we mean Kelly DeFiciani, the district's spokeswoman for several decades. Back in 2006, she created an award-winning blog called Heard It Through the Grapevine. It was designed to give the Shen community a forum to ask questions about the district and to get answers. The blog became famous as everything was fair game, from inquiries about school policy to queries about where the school cafeterias got their buffalo chicken pizza. DeFiciani is retiring in January, and education reporter Rachel Silberstein spoke to her recently about the impact of her work and who will take over the grapevine. Shenandoah is like one of the largest districts. There's like multiple campuses. People find it really confusing. So what sort of spawned this idea to start a blog that answers people's questions? No questions too small, no questions too stupid. Anything they ask is addressed on the grapevine. My kids went through the system and I would be at ball games or concerts or just different activities throughout the district pretty regularly. And I would hear people, you know, talking in the background to each other, asking questions about the district and you know, a lot of people would act like they were experts and they'd answer their friends' questions and I'd be hearing it and the answer would be wrong. So um, I approached the superintendent and plus a lot of rumors and that kind of stuff. I had approached the superintendent, Dr. Robinson, years ago with this idea and he was on board and we began the grapevine and it kind of snowballed from there. <laughs> I mean, in 2000, that was like right at the start of the internet. Like people right. were, just, blogs were just starting to come up. That's pretty like cutting edge that Shenandoah was like on the front of the blog trend. Yeah, yeah at the time, um, you know, a lot of schools, because um, through the BOCES consortium, you know, you have conversations about things and a lot of schools thought we were nuts. You know, people love it. I mean, it's always our highest page in our um, Google Analytics and you know, it's a place where people can go. Our school is so big. A lot of times people don't even know where to call for an answer to 
like you said, some are very simple questions. Um, so it's a place that they can, you know, just quickly send out a note. A lot of people read it for entertainment. Um, you know, I get a lot of people saying it's their favorite thing to read <laughs> and go through and see some of the, the questions and responses, but. It's my favorite thing to read and I don't even go to Shenandoah, so. Yeah, we hear um, that a lot. And I love how, how frank you are, like, and you'll just address, you're not afraid of any question. People, some of them are angry. A lot of times it's just parents or students venting about something that happened that day, and you just address it head on. Like, what made you decide to make that sort of editorial decision to take any well, question? Well, if it was going to work, we had to take the personal out of it and realize that these are pe things people are saying and questioning every day, and it's better for us to know about it and to be able to address it than to just, you know, cover our eyes and ears and not know what's going on. So it helps guide us um, in a lot of things, but you do have to keep that whole thing that it's just not personal. You can't take it personally. It just gives the whole district like an air of transparency and like creates trust between the community and the administrators. And in the grand scheme of things, what has it like evolved at all? Has it sort of like shifted as you served a different purpose over the years? Well, it's funny because when I first started, the biggest part of my job was working with the media. And it was because people in our community would constantly contact your um, tip lines, you know, right. and, and um, report different things. We had, like, if you look at the beginning of my career, we had binders this big filled with press stories about us. And that really dropped drastically when we started the grapevine because people started realizing they could get answers from us directly and um, kind of let us know how they were feeling. And so I think it really helped to give people confidence in that we will respond to things. Um, they don't have to go you know, to the press, they can come directly to us. To get something done, yeah. So when someone writes you, sometimes, you know, people are angry or they're upset about something that happened that day and they're really just venting and yeah. you'll write like, thank you for the feedback. Do you, what do you do with that feedback? Can they, does it get to someone? Yes, so any question that comes in automatically gets sent to whatever administrator. I, I send it to whatever administrator is involved. Um, if I can answer it myself, I answer it myself. If it's a little bit more complicated, then the administrator will um, provide an answer and I'll go in and edit it. So they see everything that comes in about their school or their program or whatever. So they're aware of what people are thinking and um, can address things. There's a lot of people writing in that they're really sad to see you go and how much they love <laughs> your work over the years. Was this planned before COVID? Yeah, my, I, um, you know, with the state, you get 30 year, um, and I have 30 years in the system. So that's, that's pretty much what, although COVID did probably help it along a little bit. <laughs> it must be nice to get all that, all those letters and realize sort of the impact you've had over the years. It is, it is. It's really nice. You know, a lot of times, you know, when you, when you get criticism or whatever on the grapevine, you, you have to balance it with we get a lot of positive on it as well. Seems fun. Like you're probably laughing a lot. Some of those questions just crack me up. 
I love my favorite is the student fan base. I mean, yeah. that <laughs> it's it's so funny how many students will uh, write me and tell me how much they love the grapevine. So I love any question that says I'm in the fourth grade. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have a question. Exactly. What's sort of like what's sort of like the top the top ten? Like, what are your some of your favorite questions that you've gotten over the years that were kind of over the top? It always cracks me up how much people want to know recipes from our food service department. <laughs> wow, that's a high yeah. compliment. They want to know like where we buy a certain chicken nugget or where, we, you know. And those are the kind of questions that to me are fun. Like, because, you know, you wouldn't ask, you wouldn't call somebody up and ask that question, but um, it's a place they can get an answer to it. Wow, so people can like order their nostalgic like lunchroom chicken yeah. nuggets. That's amazing. <laughs> yep. Only so. at Shenandoah. Exactly. <laughs> or when it's like rumors that um, just you're like, where the heck did that come from? You know, <laughs> like I remember one time there was a question that they heard that we were getting a um, cappuccino and espresso bar in the high school. You know, <laughs> like. No. <laughs> I feel like it's more like a suggestion than a rumor. <laughs> Probably. What's going to happen to the grapevine once you leave? Like, are you worried that it won't be maintained? I'm not worried about anything once I leave. I think, um, <laughs> I think it's time for a new person. I've been there a long time. And wherever they take the position, you know, a lot of things are changing. I mean, when I first started, like I said, the biggest part of my job was um, working with the media and print publications. I used to do 11 newsletters a year. Um, mm -hmm. Now it's down to two, you know. Um, this, this job has changed drastically um, with technology and I think it's gonna continue to evolve with whoever replaces me. So if they decide there's a better way to do things, more power to them. So do you think like growing up, do you think like kids that were in your kids class, did they see you as the grapevine lady or did they understand yeah. what the full scope of your job was? <laughs> no. I think they're just the grapevine lady. lady. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And in fact, people introduce me that way all the time. They'll say, this is Kelly Deficiani. She's the grapevine lady. That's so, so funny. Yeah. I reach out to you. I'm like, can you connect me with the grapevine lady? Because yeah. I heard she's retiring. <laughs> and you're like, that's me. Like you're, you're yeah. a celebrity. Sometimes when people say, uh, when people ask me the question, who does the grapevine? Sometimes I just want to say Oz. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I'm the mighty Oz behind the grapevine. That's it for this week. I'm Jessica Marshall. We'll be back next week and next year with another look inside the newsroom here at the Times Union. In the meantime, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram, or head over to timesunion.com for the latest news and features. And happy 2021, everybody!